Are you looking for new insight into how to improve your team's productivity, how to have conflict prevention, not just resolution? Stay tuned for a fascinating and in-depth interview with Deborah Levine, the genius co-creator behind the amazing print profile. Stay tuned. Hi, Shannon Waller here and welcome to Team Success. Today I have a very dear friend, someone who is absolutely brilliant and genius and has co-created the amazing print profile. I'm already making her blush. And I want to introduce everyone to Deborah Levine. And if you're not familiar with it yet, the print, which is short for imprint, and the Why of You profile, which has been really transformational for us at Strategic Coach. So most of you, if you've been listening for a while, know that I'm very passionate about profiles. I think I love the insight that they give. But print is kind of magical because it gets at something that is completely below the surface. So before we jump into that, Deborah, first of all, thank you so much for hanging out with me to have you to myself. It's such a treat. Why don't you just introduce yourself because you'll do a better job and talk a little bit about who you are and how print came to be because it's an awesome story. Fantastic. Thank you so much for inviting me, Shannon. This is as exciting for me as it is for you hanging out with you. We could probably do this for five hours, but we're going to keep it short, okay? So I am Deborah Levine. I am one of the co-creators of the print profile, the print assessment, as Shannon said. I came to it pretty circuitously. I started off in the health profession, kind of backed myself into a corner as a microbiologist and said, ooh, this isn't for me. My print, by the way, would have, if I had known back then, many years ago, what my print was, I would have known that that profession was not going to be a good career choice for me. I went back and got my MBA, got a business degree, and met up with a gentleman whose name is Dr. Paul Hertz. Paul is the other co-creator of print. He is the one who kind of got this whole thing started. I was a student, as a matter of fact, at the time. He was a professor. He has a PhD in statistics and operations management. And when he was getting his PhD, he met a gentleman by the name of Dr. W. Edwards Deming. So if anybody out there is familiar with the total quality management movement, the quality movement back in the 1980s, Deming was one of the most outstanding and profound gurus leading that movement. There were three of them, and he was the big one. But he did not have an organization, so he just had key people that were his protégés. And thankfully, Paul Hurst was one of them. And through this process... Paul learned about Deming's teachings because Deming, by the way, was over in Japan after World War II, and he was the person who really helped resurrect their economy. So he had a great deal of influence in the United States Mm -hmm. and a lot of credibility. That was when the automotive companies were starting to clobber us and electronics back in the 80s. Anyway, Paul was working with Deming at the time helping him to deliver some of his presentations that were supported by GW University. And at the end of these presentations, there were like four-day workshops, and Paul would be on the stage with him. They would get rushed by the audience for consulting advice. And of course, Deming, who was 83 at the time, was completely booked up. And they turned to Paul one day and said, well, you are up there. You seem to know something. So can you come consult for us? That is how we started our company. So it was three of us. It was Paul. He was the brain trust behind this. Myself. I was kind of like the gal Friday. By the way, they made me finish my MBA like seven courses at one time to be done with it because I was like dancing around. And another individual who was at the university with us, who was a presenter. And the three of us started the company. So we worked with organizations, manufacturing, service, I mean, large, small, the federal government to help implement Deming's principles. And while we were there, the statistical side, which we did, was called SPC at the time, but it was the precursor to Six Sigma, which is pretty important now. The behavioral side of Deming's teachings, which were built around the 14 points and improving communication and team building and collaboration, all those good stuff that we wanted, was a little bit amorphous. And it was, it was difficult for us to implement. 
So we had a team of behavioral psychologists. At this point, our company had grown from three people to 30, and we were doing this you know, domestically for 30, 40 companies at a time. The statistical side was very not easy to implement, but it was very structured, and we were able to really help companies. The behavioral side was enormously challenging. And we did not really know how to tackle that. So we ourselves even developed some tools and some strategies and we brought them out their leadership actions and they were excellent, but they didn't always land. And it was like, huh? Like, why was that happening? Why are we teaching all of these competencies and these strategies and managers are still shooting themselves in the foot and doing all these crazy things and people are not getting on board and they've got good intentions, but they're dysfunctional, basically. We saw a lot of corporate dysfunction and we could not figure it out. So we said, fine, we are going to look at the models that were out there and the systems and the assessments because we had no intentions when we started of creating anything. So not casting any aspersions, we went to what was available at the time, like DISC, Myers-Briggs, you know, there were a whole host of them And they were excellent in the fact that they were able to explain the diversity of the way people think, the way they act, maybe the way they process information, but it just described what. It didn't give us any more information. It was descriptive. So it put people in categories and groupings, and they were different from their behaviors. But we were seeking one question, and that was why. Why do people do what they do? Why did we see dysfunction? Why would somebody steal somebody else's ideas and present them as their own? Why would somebody ingratiate themselves to another person and to the point where it was so annoying that it would turn other people off? Why did somebody act out in the meeting? Why would somebody not share information that they had that would benefit somebody else? These were all behaviors that made no sense to us, and we needed to understand the root cause. And that was where print came from, because we looked everywhere and we could not find the answer until one thing happened. It actually was a spiritual counselor who brought us the Enneagram, which would you like me to share, Shannon, what the Enneagram is? Yes, please. The Enneagram is a actually a spiritual model that has been around. It's ancient. It's been around since Pythagoras, believe it or not. It goes that far back. It was Pythagoras's spiritual signature, in fact, the symbol for the Enneagram. And it is a system. It's a typology, and it describes people's behavior. But it had some profound impact on us when it was brought to our attention. And We saw some benefits to it. It has been through the Sufis, the Jesuits, Jewish mysticism. It was always in an oral tradition. It hadn't been codified until the 60s and went through some teachers in South America who put it into writing, and then it came to North America. It is basically a personality model, which is not what we were actually looking for, But it had some pieces to it that we thought were really cool, that we said, oh, we can work with this. So it talked about nine different groupings and kind of wounds and people behaving in healthy ways and unhealthy ways. And it it spoke to us. And so initially we thought we were just going to use the Enneagram. But the problem, there are some issues with it, and I'm not casting any aspersions on the Enneagram either because we use the nine, one through nine, Mm -hmm. for print, and that's homage to the Enneagram because it was an important basis. But the teachers of the Enneagram, and there's nobody who really owns it, there's a lot of different teachers, they put everyone into one single category, and we couldn't find people's behaviors or wants or needs or why to fit one category. So we did some work with that, we found that people had two, okay? There's a concept in Enneagram called wings. So if you're a five, for example, which we can talk a little about what that means, your choices are five with a four influence or five with a three influence. And when we did our statistical analyses, five, four, and five, three were really low on the charts and five, one and five, nine were the most popular ones. And so 
they were the most prevalent ones. So we did some work with that. But we started with this and we thought it was a really cool instrument to model, to build on. And so we spent five years working with it. But as I said, it was a personality model. It didn't answer the question why. Remember, that was always our goal. It was kind of outside in instead of inside out. So we focused on the nine categories, but we wanted to look at what their core motivations were. What was driving behavior? Why were people thinking and feeling and acting the way they were? Why were they making those choices? And why was it on some days they were magnanimous and controlled in their behavior or they would participate, yet on another day they would hoard or they would act out and be aggressive or uncontrolled or unrestricted in their behaviors, or they would, you know, be non-participative and disengaged. So why were we seeing in the same person so many different behavior patterns? We had to figure that out on our own. So the Enneagram was a starting point. We said, we're going to take the nine groupings. We like that. We're going to find the underpinnings of those nine groupings and find the unconscious motivators, which is the terminology that we use, the core motivations, the why behind the behavior, which we figured out, took us five years to figure that out. And then we realized that wasn't enough either. Oh, then we had to develop an assessment, but I'll go to that afterwards. Then we said, but that's not enough just to know motivations. That is telling us why, but what about how we show up? So then we had to figure out why were the different, this duality, if you will, this, we're not linear, you know, we're not flat surface, you know, we're multidimensional. Why were we showing up in different ways in different circumstances? So then we went to Jungian psychology and we added that to the piece because that was very fascinating. And we worked with a bunch of behavioral psychologists, so they knew all this. And Jung talks about the shadow, the dark side, which is our emotional blind spot and the dark side to our psyche. And we went, ooh, that explains when we're behaving in a way that isn't so productive and isn't working for us, even though we think it is, kind of that ego. The shadow is the part of us that is not the ego idealization. Okay, so we show up in that less productive way. And then we said, okay, well, what's the flip side to the dark side is the light. Okay, and we gave that a name and we called that best self. And now we're developing our models. We have unconscious motivators that came from the Enneagram. We have Jungian psychology overlaid on that with shadow and best self, kind of explaining the dark side and the light side, which is the alternative. And then we said, okay, we need a little bit more to add to this. What is causing us to be one way versus another way? And then we said, okay, we'll do a little bit more research. And we came up with the concept, which existed already, but we adapted it, which is the concept of triggers, which are the stimuli that activate the shadow behavior. And that's a whole story which we can talk about at some point, if you want, about what triggers are and how they get the brain, the neuroscience behind triggers. Then we went one step further and we said, okay, so we have unconscious motivations that are driving our behavior that we're not even aware of. Sometimes we show up in our best self, our light side. Sometimes we show up in shadow, our dark side. Triggers are the things that cause us to go to the dark side, to the shadow. We know where triggers come from. How do we stay more in best self and not go to shadow? Because ultimately we were seeking transformation. The goal and the mission that we always set out to do is how do we help people be more best self, be that productive person. And then we bring into this amalgamation a little bit more, and we bring in some more modern psychology and tools like neurochemistry. We do a whole thing on repatterning with, I don't know if you know, Herbert Benson out of Harvard. He did work with neurosignatures. It's a lot of brain chemistry, changing negative habits into positive habits and using affirmations to do that. We work with other aspects of positive psychology, mindfulness, CBT, a lot of tools to help take shadow, which we all have, and convert it into best self. 
That became our model. But there was one piece that was missing. Put all the pieces together. And this is all Paul Hertz with team of behaviorists. And, you know, I just kind of chime in a little bit. How do we determine a person's unconscious motivators? How do we determine their quote unquote motivational imprint, Mm -hmm. which is what print is, (laughs) motivational imprint? Well, we started, Shannon, with having people try to self-identify. We wrote paragraphs. We had signs around the room. We're working with companies like, I don't know if I can share their names. We worked with a major cruise line. We worked with a bunch of other ones. We're trying to get them to identify. People couldn't. They either were wannabes. They related to 20, (laughs) everything that was on the page. They couldn't figure it out. So we said, all right, we're going to have to create some mechanism for an identification of a person's print. Mm -hmm. And that was the development of the print survey, which in and of itself is something that we're really proud of. And so that was the assessment, the tool, the instrument to identify a person's print. That's our history. That's our story. Going from observing dysfunctional behavior to a print survey with tools to stay in best self. Fantastic. And that was a five-year journey. Wow. And it's been many years since because you've actually seen the impact. So two things I want to talk about next. One is to stay, everyone, If you, when you're listening, stay tuned because you will find out the very special offer, which the Whole Hertz Group has made available to you as a listener of the team success and connection with Strategic Coach. So stay tuned for that very special offer, which other people don't get. So stay tuned for that. Now, Deborah, just in terms of results, when you did develop the print survey, you started seeing measurable results that you had not been able to get at before. So that part of the business, that the statistical part was measurable and working and all the rest of it, but the behavioral part was not. So what difference did having people's print results make in your consulting work with those organizations? Unbelievable. So here were the kinds of things that we saw dramatic improvements on. Collaboration, mm-hmm. psychological safety, Mm -hmm. Okay, so collaboration, meaning people understanding the why behind other people's behavior. I'm going to elaborate on it, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. So collaboration was the outcome. But where that came from was normally I would see somebody else's behavior and it didn't resonate for me or it irritated me. And I would say, oh, that pisses me off. That is annoying. They're doing that because I would fill in the blanks. I would probably get it wrong most of the time. I would write the story arc and we would be in tension, stress, conflict, whatever. Okay. That is the anti to collaboration. Well, and the one more is they're doing it to tick me off. They're doing it on purpose. Exactly. On purpose. I would take it personally. Thank you. Absolutely. And then I would react in kind, okay? Because we are humans and we're not wallflowers and we go, oh yeah, bring it on, bring it on. We then would say, okay, you know, some of us might be retaliative. Some of us would give a cold shoulder and stonewall. I mean, we all have different protective mechanisms. And so what we would do is just keep doing this dance back and forth. Mm -hmm. And companies did not understand why they were not getting the output that they wanted. So that's where collaboration came from. When I understand the why behind Shannon, when she does something, I'm not affronted by it as much. I may not like it. It may not work for me, but I now have a lexicon and an understanding to go back to you and say, we need to get this done. I understand, Shannon, you like to move at lightning speed, but I need to do a little due diligence because I like to get it right. So let's make sure we get both of our needs met and get the job done. Maybe it'll be shorter than I would have done. Maybe it'll be longer than you would have done, but we can come together and get a fabulous outcome. And now we're working together, not against one another. Collaboration, psychological safety, Everyone talks about being able to have healthy debate. Well, if you don't understand what's going on for people, you're not having healthy debate. Mm -hmm. You can't have constructive conversation. You can't bring something and not be concerned that somebody's going to hold it against you. So we either repress information, we share it, but we sugarcoat it. I mean, there are so many things that we do for protective mechanisms. Mm -hmm. We can't have psychological safety unless we know what's going on and we understand people. We have to have that mutual respect. So that built up immediately. Let me just weigh in on the importance of psychological safety. If anyone's not aware, there is a phenomenal, it's been talked about for a while, 
trust in organizations. There's lots of different ways of talking about it, but there's a phenomenal survey by Google on the most effective teams. They've surveyed over 250 teams, if I recall correctly, and they determined which ones were the most successful. And they looked at everything. Google's going to analyze stuff, right? So they looked at the competencies of the people, the degrees, the ways of working together, all the kajillion of factors. And guess what? The number one determinant of a successful and productive team was the amount of psychological safety that the people felt. Absolutely. Which meant they, just as you've been saying, they can put forth an idea. They're not going to get slammed for it. They're not going to mention an idea one day and get a wicked criticism the next. They actually feel safe to be able to put forth their ideas, whether or not they're accepted or not. It doesn't matter. It's the fact that they actually feel free to play in that sandbox. So if you, just to tune you into just how incredibly important this is in terms of productivity and obviously for any entrepreneurial company, the, the profitability, so much comes down to psychological safety. And that's just a quick introduction of how I learned about print was from our dear and mutual friend, Adrian Duffy, because I was looking for a conflict resolution tool for our leadership team. I thought we could do a better job of actually being able to resolve conflicts. She goes, well, I've got a tool for you, but it's not for conflict resolution. How about something for conflict prevention? And I was like, Ooh, tell me, tell me more about that, please. Now, I have to say, I was a slow learner on this one, but she did my profile. She was kind of to do my husband's. And then she interpreted it for us. And then finally, the light bulb went on because, again, I wasn't cluing in quickly enough. And then when it went to our leadership team, and then it went to our whole company, now it's going to our whole client base. Like, we just can't not have people know this information because it's that valuable. But it is conflict prevention. Totally, right? Because when you know what is motivating somebody else versus you, because someone said this about Colby, but I think it also is about print. Before you know about someone else, you think everyone's like you, only not as good. (laughs) That's true. Is that not the best quote of life? That is so true. Oh my God, yes. And now you get to know that your two motivations, there are seven more in 72 possible combinations and you can just get so much wiser and all this insight. So we're only at the second result that you were talking about, but I just want to add those in because it's that flipping useful to know this. So you guys started to be able actually to measure and have some predictability with people's behavior, if I understand correctly. Yes, we did. And so the behavioral things were the input variables. So we saw increases in innovation. We saw adaptability to change. We even saw being able to respect the leader who had a vision. And even though I'm not visionary and I might not even agree with it, but I understand where it's coming from and I have trust in this person, the trust levels increase that I can march, which sometimes doesn't happen in an organization communication improved, but what that translated into, the output variables, the KPIs for the companies were margin increases. I could give you a ton of stories. Bottom line, you know, improvements. Mm -hmm. Cost savings. I mean, we saw same store sales increase, saw customer satisfaction levels and market share increases. I mean, we've captured a zillion case studies. Mm -hmm. So this wasn't just feel good, touchy-feely, emotional kumbaya. We had to do that to get to the point where companies were more successful as a result. I mean, we have an incident where a $70 million contract was salvaged. They would have lost it because of print. And this was a print who is like you, Shannon, okay? Or like me in some ways, bringing another print who was more of a thinker, you know, a logical person to the meeting and said, I give you 15 minutes to analyze this because I know you're going to come up with something I didn't come up with. It's from a major corporation. And he did. And because of print, she had a difficult time working with this guy. But after print, she valued where his contribution brought him to the session, to the meeting, salvaged a $70 million contract that went right to the bottom line because she valued the five nines input. Right. So we should probably jump into what the nine motivators are because as we've been throwing numbers around, which I had about four or five of them memorized off the bat. 
I had to consciously work to get all nine. <laughs> I know. Of course, I remembered my own. That was easy. So let's talk about what the motivators are. Because if you're like me, you're like, okay, I want to know what I am. So stay tuned for that special offer because it's so fascinating. And if you have done your print, because a lot of people have done the survey, the profile, instrument, assessment, whatever you want to call it. And it's not a test, by the way. You cannot fail. There's no wrong answer. Right. So let's be really no clear. Answer. And you're not getting boxed in. But it does reveal what is below the surface. So all of these other profiles, which I've done a bunch and I'm certified in a few, it measures what's below the surface, what underneath is motivating you from a deep emotional level. And it's what you emotionally need. And also what happens, it articulates so beautifully what happens when your needs are not being met. We'll get into that. Yes. Those are more the triggers. Yes. And there's some brilliant insights about that. But let's talk about the nine because I think that would be a good place to go now to kind of think through, okay, as soon as you hear the nine, you're like, oh yeah, I'm that, I'm that, I'm that. And you're like, okay, That's I can't nail nine. So let's go through them in order. And you can quiz me if you want, okay. or I can have you do it, but you'll do a better descriptor of them than I will. No, it's okay. You want to start? Well, I think it's very ironic that a, the number one is to be perfect, correct, and right, which is why it's number one. <laughs> that's your interpret. That's funny. Well, that's what people have told me. <laughs> that's that of course, a one that's is so funny, know, right? Oh, that's so funny. I, you know, I never heard that in all these years. That's a riot. But it was ones that told me this, by the way, not me. Of course they did. And you are one, so I think that's pretty funny. But just give me one or two more sentences about what the need okay. and why of a one print, because I think that's essential. Okay, so first let me say that we use numbers, one through nine. That's homage to Enneagram. But it's not personality, it's unconscious motivations that are driving the behavior. Like you said, under the waterline, we use an iceberg metaphor. It's under the waterline that is really the driver or what's accounting for why we show up a certain way. So everybody has two unconscious motivators and no unconscious motivator is better than others. We need them all. So the one wants things to be perfect, correct, and right. That is the underlying core need of the one. And when that need is met, they are really visionary and they are quality-minded and they have a great deal of integrity. Mm -hmm. When they show up in shadow, when their needs are not met and they're being triggered and they're on autopilot and they are not mindful, they can be nitpicky and overly perfectionistic. They can be preachy. It's all of the opposite. Because what shadow is, by the way, is our best self that we've taken to excess to a degree. We've taken it, exaggerated it. And that's how our best self turns into shadow. So that's the one. They want things perfect, correct, and right. Yeah. Twos want to be needed and appreciated they get ruffled a little bit that makes them sound needy. It does not mean that a two is needy. It means that they get needs met. Yeah. They get other people's needs met and they want them to feel valued. But when they do that, it makes them feel needed. Okay. So their needs get met by getting other people's needs met. It's a very interesting concept. And they like to be appreciated for that effort. 100%. I have cues in my life, which is lovely. And what I know is they pick up on those cues. They have an antenna that I don't have because I'm, I'm not a two. And they pick up on what other people need. So they're like scouts. They're reading that radar. It's incredible. So if you are one, or if you know one, like listen, because they have valuable intel that I'm not going to pick up on. I'm going to be in action doing my thing all the time. You'll hear what I am in a minute. But those twos are so... Twos are tuned in. Yeah. That's the thing to remember about a two. And it's a dream, the amount of sensitivity that they have to what other people need. But do remember to say thank you and to deeply appreciate their contribution. That gives them the fuel to actually keep going and wanting to work with you. And in best self, they are the best caretakers and advisors and support and listeners and emotional support. I mean, there's no better. But in shadow, when it gets taken to an extreme, they can be manipulative and passive-aggressive and a little bit overly ingratiating and they can get really resentful if they don't feel appreciated and they don't get the OZs that's due to them because they put in so much extra. And by the way, every print has best self and shadow, right? Okay, should we go to three? Threes want to succeed and achieve. That's their unconscious motivator. 
So everybody who's listening probably says to themselves, oh, I'm a three, because we all want to succeed and achieve. People who listen to podcasts are probably success goal-driven individuals. So I want to clarify that for threes, that is the reason for being, Mm -hmm. is to succeed and achieve. For the rest of us that aren't threes, the success and achievement is an outcome. Right. It's not the process. Mm. For threes, it's the process. So these are very goal-driven, great networkers, great communicators, very adaptable, flexible individuals that get things done because they got here and there and they know how to get there. But in shadow, mm-hmm. they can be a little self-inflated. They can be cut corners, ends justify means, sometimes a little disingenuous about how to get there. Every print has a best self and a shadow. Everybody has the duality. The goal is to be the best self version of who we are. That's the objective, is to show up in the best self version. Mm-hmm. So let's go on to number four. Fours want to be special and find meaning in life. These are the individuals who do things with purpose. Yeah. If it isn't meaningful, if it isn't purposeful, it's not going to fly for them. They put their heart and soul into everything. They've got very deep relationships. They're very also tuned in, like twos, but for a different reason. They've got deep connections to other people. They're pretty individualistic. They march to their own beat. Yes. When that's taken to an extreme and shadow, obviously they can be impractical and a little histrionic and overly emotional and hypersensitive because they're very sensitive individuals. They can be a little dramatic sometimes and moody and shadow, but in best self, they are very creative, highly creative individuals. Mm-hmm. And they strive for that emotional connection. And one of the coaching tips I have here is avoid giving them too many mundane tasks mm. because they need to be doing work that is purposeful and meaningful. That's what feeds them. And they'll work long and hard to do that. Yep. But you can't give them something mundane just because it needs to get done. That That's not going to And be careful them. in how you criticize it because right. their work is so meaningful for them that it's almost part of who they are. So it's hard to differentiate them. Okay. Fives want to be knowledgeable and smart. These are our thinkers. These are our data collectors, our analyzers, our theorists. They can connect those dots in terms of putting things together, in terms of a cogent you know, way of thinking about things. A little disconnected sometimes in shadow from their head to their heart. Mm. And they could be so overly focused on the data and the analysis that the action sometimes becomes a little bit deferred. Mm. Interesting. So that's one of the thinking modes. Okay. Love that. Love that. And fives are great because I'm not a five. So I really rely on the fives to give me (laughs) the deep information. I did a Facebook live with one of our fabulous membership advisors and he's a five. And we were actually talking about print as one of the topics of our package that we are describing some different profiles we make available to clients. And it was great because he just provided all of this context and detail that he loves analyzing in ways that were nuanced and less than I would have given them. So it was a fun parlay between the two of us because we just kind of kept riffing off each other. It was very fun. But in the shadow, they can go to so much techno speak and so much detail that they lose the audience. But they're so innovative and they're also very rational and logical individuals and calm. That's one thing I learned in my most recent print training from you and Adrian was that fives can be very innovative. Yes, extremely. They can be real, like on the frontier, like right on the cutting edge because they're thinking in such, listen, Paul Hurts, our president, has a five. Uh-huh. Okay, so I mean, that's really what's, he's a one five, but his five is very strong. Uh-huh. His minor is a five and his major is a one. Okay, sixes want safety and security. They're best in predictable environments that are not high risk. And so they work best when they understand what the structure is, their role, and how they fit in. And they're extremely dutiful and diligent. But they can, in shadow, that's their best self. In shadow, they can become risk averse, too much so. They can become a little stubborn and inflexible. They want things a certain way. They don't adapt to change as quickly as they could. But they are the most loyal and vigilant people on the planet. You want a six on your team, for sure. 
Yeah, I have several and I have one in my family. <laughs> there you go. Incredibly loyal. Okay. So you want to tell us about sevens, Shannon? Because that's your major, your first number. Yes, it is. And it's to enjoy life and be happy. So it's really interesting. I was realizing how much this impacts my language. And as both of you and Adrian have pointed out, you can just hear people talk and you can see what motivates them. Because if I say something is fun, which could come across as something frivolous and light and not substantial, no, fun is the highest compliment I can give. And if I say something is not fun, it was horrible. Like, (laughs) Thank you for telling me that. I'll look for that. (laughs) Make sure I don't say I'm not fun. No, it's usually an experience. I say that was not fun. It was hard. It was painful. It was arduous. Like that is one of the worst criticisms I can give. And you'll know it wasn't just not funny. It was really bad. <laughs> so I was laughing at myself because I'm like, oh, there's my print as I <laughs> was communicating. Your parade was rained on, right? Totally. And it was, in this case, it was actually a painful experience physically. And it was really challenging. So you can hear it in the language. And this is true of all prints. I just was clued into it because of my own. So yes, and it's, you know, some of the things in terms of the coaching, I love this. Avoid exerting heavy authority and strict oversight. So we like to have fun in ways we like to have fun. Keep conversations and instructions short and to the point. Yeah, don't belabor something. Let them take risks and improvise. Try to be decisive and not overanalyze. Involve them in more during planning and idea generation. So I want you to talk about when a seven goes to the extreme and when they're in shadow. What does a seven in shadow look like? Well, they become a little shallow in terms of they don't dive deeply enough when it's absolutely necessary. So they can't discern well when it's time to really give something. Not that they can't focus. They just don't want to. The distraction is there. It's a more of a superficial rendering. Got it. The other thing is that they overcommit. They just jump around between too many things. And so they never really follow through to the level that they need to when they're in shadow. And the other thing is they miss problems because the reality is it's a fabulous thing that they're steeped in positivity and glass half full, and it's a negative. That's because the negative part is that when you need to really see the issues that are happening and deal with them, it's really hard for them. They'll rationalize, they'll minimize, you know, they'll just dismiss and say, oh, it'll get better. You know, they don't want to have to dive into the complaining and negativity that comes with problems. So that really takes stretching oneself to be able to do that. I mean, actually it was, well, someone who's my stepmom years ago, who said, you look at life through rose colored glasses. I'm like, well, that's more pleasant than any other perspective. I guess. <laughs> the question is rose colored glasses, I think are fabulous. It's when they're exceptionally rose colored, they're yeah. too rose colored that it's missing the realities of life. Yeah. How's that? And she was not that. So it just clashed with her. And we did not have the wisdom of print at our disposal. And we were probably both in shadow, to be perfectly honest. Well, you probably triggered one another all the time. Spoiler alert. Yeah. And her print was the same as yours. Just saying. Okay. (laughs) Which was interesting. And she'd had a much rougher upbringing in life than I did. So she had experienced those problems. She'd experienced the challenges. And I was like, things are fine. And she was like, they're not fine. And for her, they weren't. That was her reality, which I could obviously come to grips with more. So that was an interesting dynamic for a long time. Let's talk about major print eight, which we both share. Yes, You're yes. One of the seven, eight. So you described the eight. This is one you know well. Yes, it's always the hardest one. When I was writing the reports, mm-hmm. Every time I got to the eight, it was the hardest one for me to write. It's very hard to write about yourself. I only see myself in a positive light. All right. Eights want to be strong and self-reliant. So these are the commanders in chief, you know, whether they're supposed to be formally or not, they will assume that role no matter what. Mm-hmm. Independent thinkers, very decisive, able to challenge a situation without any concern, you know, no BS. They're not going to, you know, beat around the bush. They're going to get right to the point direct in their communication, but really able to take charge in shadow. You can see take charge can become bully or over as my son-in-law says, I hope he's not listening. I can be overbearing is what he says. And I'm always working on this. 
the staying in best self is a long-term commitment. They can be bulls in the china shop and overly blunt, cutting people off at the knees that needed a little bit softer approach and maybe just emotionally dismissive. And not because they don't, it's from a very deep heart, but it's surrounded sometimes by a lot of armor that people don't get to see. (laughs) That is so true. And people don't actually appreciate that. But yeah, there can be a lot of armor. And I think that's really interesting. The other thing is, and we'll talk about them pairing them together in just a moment. So I'm a seven print, which enjoy life and be happy. And the eight, I always relate to being independent, right? And so I want to have fun my way. That's right. Don't tell me how to have fun, which is why, I mean, I picked up some watercolor during COVID lockdown, but I also went and bought myself a chainsaw. (laughs) Yeah. How do you put those two in the same same sentence? (laughs) I like using my hands. I have zero tidy up jeans in my body, except when it comes to dead limbs on trees. And I was tired of taking a manual saw because I'm strong, but not that strong. You said, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it. And my husband refused to teach me and his chainsaw kept failing. So I went and bought myself a battery operated chainsaw, which I have to recommend anyone if you want one. They're light, they're reliable, and they're quiet. And you got those limbs off and you felt so good when you did it yourself. 100%. I own three. I enjoy telling the story because first of all, it's hysterical. Who the hell owns a chainsaw? A woman. Anyway, very few of us. It's entertaining for one thing, but I also realized it is fun my way. That's right. That's your song, Fun My Way. There you go. Your eulogy, Fun Your Way. She had fun her way. That's totally true. So you'll see an independence of spirit. You'll see an independence of action, I think, with an eight. And we see that with so many of our strategic coach clients because we'll talk about how they go into different patterns or different thinking, feeling, doing sections. But we see a lot of entrepreneurs with eights. Yeah. Because they don't conform to the normal. That's right. That's what it is. Bureaucratic ways of doing things and they strike out on their own. They're also very resilient and they don't mind taking a risk and whatever happens. They're confident enough that they're going to be able to pull themselves back up by the bootstraps very quickly and it's fine. Yeah. You know, they don't sit and commiserate over it too long. No, they really don't. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Last and our last least. one is our nine, and they're not the last because they're nine. They're wonderful, and they're important, and they're critical. The numbers could be in reverse, okay? So tell your ones that. The one could have nine next to it. Nines want to have peace. Their unconscious motivator need. Their core need is peace and harmony. So these are our highly composed, adaptable, diplomatic individuals that can see both sides of a situation. And really, the gift that they have is able to reconcile that. They're really grounded and even-tempered. And you just kind of need people that just don't get all crazy and anxious when things go amiss. You know, they're just level-headed. I mean, I need nines in my life to balance me out. There's no question about it. What happens in shadow is that they can become so complacent and so non-confrontational and so conflict avoidant Mm -hmm. that it leads to inaction. It leads to, you know, avoidant behavior. I mean, that's really the thing that nines have to work with. They don't Mm -hmm. speak up when they should. You know, they will avoid a situation that is disconcerting. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. So I'm, I'm going to jump ahead a smidge because when you complete the questions, the very dynamic questions, so remind me again of how many questions are actually in the assessment. Yes, I was going to jump on that. Yeah. So the survey is very different than any other survey. And again, this is Dr. Hertz and his like brain trusts, his brain that it works at a level that nobody else's does. There are 750 questions What we had to do was differentiate the nine. So basically what happens is it's a game of round robin where they're playing against one another. Mm -hmm. So there's 750 questions in the database that we had to play with to determine which were the key ones to differentiate. Right. But everyone only takes a batch. I'm not going to tell you the number, but they take the same batch. And after that same batch, everyone takes their own personalized survey because all the questions drop out except for the ones that scored high in that first round, which means, oh, we need to drill down on those and start to differentiate. So your survey looked entirely different than mine. And it usually takes us only about 10, 15 minutes if we're good at differentiating. And there'll be two or three that go into the 
playoffs, if you will, until we get to the two at the bottom. So it ends up being probably around 60 questions average in total. Yes. And you described it as we were talking before we hit record. It's a round robin, right? They circle around because they have to kind of fight it out <laughs> to see which one, they do. which one, which I always think is kind of fun. You know, the only two make it to the finish line. And it's a process of elimination. And it's dynamic questioning, which is very different than the Enneagram or a lot of other profiles. I don't know of any other that I'm aware of that no. work that way. I totally agree. So it's really interesting. Well, it gets it fast. Yes. Unless you're my daughter, it took a long time. Well, every once in a while, you'll get a few that can't differentiate, but it makes it fast and it makes it accurate. Yes. This was designed for the busy person, okay? The assessment and the reports were designed for people who didn't have time to sit and look at 20 pages of charts and graphs and narratives that they don't get anything out of it. Which I love. So I want to jump ahead, as I mentioned, to the report. So I love the report. You actually get three reports with one package, which is incredible. You know, the first one is who you are, why of you. And this is so useful because in the first four pages are kind of general, just context just to remind you what you're measuring. And then the next pages, the next four pages, page five, six, seven, eight, are very personalized to you. So I always say, okay, read the first part in case you forgot what you're measuring, but then go to page five and make sure you grab a highlighter. That's right. Literally, I'm grabbing a highlighter and go through on page five because that's your anticipated best self and highlight all of the sentences. It's in paragraph form and you're going to feel like you just had some mystical tarot card reading because it's like, how did they get me out of those? I know, that's what right? says. Out of those answers. And it's amazing. So highlight all the sentences. You're like, yeah, that's me. That's me. That's me. And you're feeling really good. And then you turn to page six. (laughs) Also good. Also, you need a highlighter. Grab a cup of coffee or a glass of wine. There you go. Something to anesthetize you. I'm such a huge fan, Deborah, of self-awareness. And truth be told, this is you in shadow, potential shadow. The nice thing about this, even versus Enneagram, which I also like, but I got much more accurate results from print, is that it's potential. So here's Shannon, you and best self. Here's when you're triggered, what you and shadow, I'm like, oh, now did I identify with all of it? No, but about 90%, yeah. And I actually got to appreciate my growth as a human being because I saw how I don't get as hooked by certain things. I don't do that anymore. There are still lessons to learn, let's be clear. And the page, page seven is the bottom line words. And I actually have my laminated version up here beside me, beside my computer, where my anticipated and my potential is there. And this is actually what Dan, Dan Sullivan, brilliant guy that he is, anyone who's in a clearing meeting with Dan before our workshop in the morning, because we always have a clearing, we all have our laminated pages. And out of all of your anticipated best self, we all highlight five words that we are going to choose to, I say, live into, that might be too flicky for some people. We say, what are we bringing to this meeting, right? What are we bringing to the meeting? What are we bringing to the workshop? How are we going to show up in best self today is really the question. And his is always fun because he goes energetic and creative and innovative and all the things. And then <laughs> his last one, he's a 7-3 prince. So to enjoy life and be happy and to succeed and achieve. He goes, and if all else fails, charming. That's <laughs> true. He can always <laughs> rely on charming if he doesn't. <laughs> That's so great. And charming's on his list. Yeah, sure. Charismatic is on mine. And then I laugh my rear end off because my colleague, Eleonora, who's a 5'6", she'll have words like dependable and calm and this. And I'm laughing because those words are not on my list. There's not one word on yours or Dan's. No, and I literally laugh every single time because I'm like, yeah, no, 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 right? And then as a joke, sometimes Dan actually did the other day when he said, okay, then he picked some words from his potential chat. Oh, he like, did? Because I thought he oh, used to that one out. Okay. And, and then he immediately went, no, 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 I'm going to be this. <laughs> it was kind of funny. If we were ever going to do a skit, we would probably do that. But you know what we do is we have people say which shadow I'm leaving at the door. Because that Mm -hmm. self-awareness, you know, intentions are scientifically proven. I always thought they were just great ideas to put out there. No, no, no. It is scientifically proven that when we state an intention that we are actually setting neurologically ourselves to avoid certain things and to do other things. There's scientific evidence to support that. 
So setting an intention of a shadow that I'm going to leave at the door is setting an awareness boundary that I'm not going to show up a certain way. I'm going to show up this way, but even when triggered, I'm not going to show up that way. So that's, oh, that is so advanced. Oh my gosh. I love that. So as someone who's passionate about entrepreneur, well, about how we show up at work, this is amazing. And what we'll leave at the door is what is a true potential for what could hook us and how we could not show. Oh my gosh. I'm so going to use that in my next coaching session. Okay, good. And I have to tell you, which is kind of fun. So that one of the reports is the trigger report. This is the second report. Yeah, that's my favorite. It's actually my favorite. Yeah. Your favorite too? It's your favorite too. It's my favorite. Oh my God. And you know why? Because I laughed my butt off. Because it actually says, okay, and, and the big insight, the massive aha, I think, for my first or second print training, because I've had a few now, been lucky enough. Well, first of all, it's when your needs are not getting met. But as you said earlier, it's when your potential best self is taken too far. You're too far on right. that extreme. And you've given great examples of that. So triggers, because I went through the list and I highlighted every single one. I'm like, yep. <laughs> all 14 of them. Yeah. Like slow talkers, people who only focus on problems and not solutions. Like, oh my gosh, that drives me insane. You know? And by the way, if we looked at your list and my list, they would have nothing in common. There's 72 lists. Just like there's 72 best self and shadow narratives and lists. Yeah. But I laughed my rear end off. I felt so known. I felt so heard. I felt (laughs) <laughs> that's it Shannon you are seen <laughs> I am and it was so fun and it's interesting because my lovely brilliant beautiful sister Julia is at four two and I'm sure me just existing and breathing and talking <laughs> can trigger her and probably vice versa so but of course we love each other and we figure out a way so the trigger report is so incredibly insightful it is one of my very favorite things about print so what did you do with that with the triggers, once you knew that those are the ones, besides just an awareness level, that this is what is going to potentially put me into shadow. Well, the coaching and the trigger board is so spot on. Number one is be aware. The other two is, if possible, avoid these situations. That's right. Which I think is great coaching. And if you can't, you know, ask why. Why is someone doing this? Strive to understand someone else's, what's motivating them to be curious. Be curious. Instead of assigning intent, be curious. Yes. And kind of pause before you react. There you go. Those are it. Take the pause. Yeah. So in stimulus response, take that little tiny bit of space and be curious and ask a question and don't assume that you know, because we know what the word assume means. That's right. It makes an ass of you and me. And be curious and don't assume we would call it negative intent. Assume positive intent versus not actually doing this to trigger it. That's right. It's not a personal affront. They'll do this to everybody. Yeah. Understand where it's coming from and find the middle ground. Find the place to compromise. 100%. There's so much wisdom in there. First of all, I feel totally seen as I think everyone else does. And it also has really great coaching, which I also love for how not to do it. And then the last report you get, also genius, is the role alignment. And the role alignment is so great. And I don't care if you own your own company or not, right? It's even useful if you are the owner, because sometimes you may have designed a role for yourself that's not a good match for who you are. So it are unique ability, who, not how, all the things. The role alignment is really a check and balance for how have you crafted your company and have you freed yourself up enough to actually be in best self or not? I think that is gold. And that's the goal. The goal of all of this is just what you said, which is really the nugget. Mm-hmm. How do we show up every day in our life in best self? Because that's when we're going to be the most productive. We're going to be the best entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. We're going to be the best team member. We're going to be the best parent. We're going to be the best partner. Because best self is our authentic self. It is us and our A game, and it isn't only for us. It's when we bring out the best in other people as well. And isn't that what we want to do in life at this point? I mean, isn't that what it's all about? So these are tools to help people be more best self. Mm-hmm. Yes, we get market share and collaboration and all of those other wonderful things that we're in business, and we want that. But at the core, 
we're really showing up as better humans. And that was really what, if we go full circle, what drove us right from the beginning is dysfunctional behavior was hurting people. Mm -hmm. It was hurting themselves and it was hurting others. And I don't think we realize the impact that we have on other people when we're in shadow. And the truth is we can't separate ourselves our personal and professional, we're, we're the same human who shows up in both places. And when you are being your best self, period, you're going to make the most contribution to your company and your best contribution to yourself, to your family, to your community, all the things. And, you know, as someone who is absolutely passionate about unique ability teamwork, this is critical. Yeah. How you take action on your motivations is that's more Colby, but we can have very different prints in the same Colby or same prints in different Colbys that will show up differently. So this is the unconscious motivation. This is your motivational identity, which I think is so magical. So Deborah, it's time to wrap up. My gosh, you and we I could go on forever. <laughs> we totally could. So there is, and I have it available if I just can find it to pull it up. Strategic Coach has a very special offer from collaboration with the Paul Hertz Group, which I love. And this is a special offer which is available to you. So this will be in the show notes. We'll make sure it's available. And this is really only for coach clients and people who are affiliated with us. And as a listener, you also get access to this too. So thank you for that. So there's a very special price, which is a big, I don't like the word discount, but special value. (laughs) And I want to give you the code. It's very simple. There's an access code with the portal. You go to printsurvey.com forward slash special offer. So again, printsurvey.com forward slash special offer. And the access code is P8768. And the P can be capital or lowercase. It doesn't matter. Great to know. So this is your window into the portal, which is very exciting. So P8768. So Anyway, thank you, thank you, thank you for making this available to the listeners because I'm very excited because you may or may not be in a coach program and you still might want to know this. I know for me, I need to know my husband's, I need to know my children. And of course, I'd like to know everything about everybody because I don't want to trigger them. I don't want them to trigger me. I want to be able to show up in best self. And now you have a conversation. You can have that conversation. It's not personal. And it really helped me understand why my husband and my eldest daughter are they're print twins. Annoying. <laughs> no, no, they're not. But they're the same person because right. they're motivated the same way. I'm pretty close. And then my other daughter is motivated completely differently. So did your parenting change for her as a result? One it had to. hundred percent. It had to. hundred percent. Oh my God, we become such better parents and we know our own prints and we know the prints of our kids. Oh, I know. And then we do it with our friends. It's crazy. I do. I'm devoted to being a good parent. And I think with my eldest daughter that I'm just the best parent on the planet. Turns out she's just very similar to to person me. (laughs) But then with my other daughter, I could be doing the same things. And just to your, exactly your point earlier, it could fail miserably Mm -hmm. and I would not see best self-behavior. So this has been gold professionally, but also personally. And I cannot thank you enough for that. Pleasure. I'm so glad we've been able to touch you and your family and hopefully the audience today. I think we have. Deborah, if someone did want to reach out to you or had some more questions, how is it that they can get a hold of you? They can contact me directly on my email. So it's Deborah, D-E-B-R-A at paulhertzgroup.com. Paul Hertz Group is one word, P-A-U-L. H-E-R-T-Z-G-R-O-U-P.com. And I welcome anybody writing. I will respond. I, I used to be on a 24-hour turnaround. I gave myself a little break to 48 hours these days as we get deluged with emails. <laughs> I love that. Deborah. I can't thank you enough. This has been such a rich conversation. And I really appreciate knowing the context and the history. And both you and Paul are both one prince. So the thing for everyone to know about... We didn't even get to talk about print wheels or personalities of organizations, but the Paul Hertz Group has so much integrity with one print. You know that everything is going to be accurate. Everything is going to be exactly what is promised. And I really respect and trust and appreciate your contribution to the world because it's been a huge contribution to me, to our clients, to our company, to our team. And I can't wait to learn more. And I hope we get to have this conversation again. Thank you. Can I say back Please do. that we love Strategic Coach with your seven orientation, right? 
and seeing life through a positive lens and a can-do lens and we can make things happen and we can bring change and we can make things fabulous because those are people we want to connect with. So even our merger, our partnership really exemplifies how different prints can work together in a collaborative way. So supportively and to really make a difference. Hmm. I love every second of that. Thank you so much, Deborah. Thank you, Shannon, for having me. And bye, everybody. It was nice talking to you today. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you.